Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. All right, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Thank you again for listening. Now let's get right into it. This week, we're breaking down Season 1, Episode 20, entitled, Nobody Lives Forever. Per IMDb, the synopsis is as follows. A passionate romance distracts Crockett to the point that it nearly derails the pursuit of three thugs on a rampage. I actually wrote down the word utes, so <laughs> you're going to be hearing this a lot through the episode. The two utes. And not to split hairs, but it's actually three utes. So... How do we open this episode? Speaking of, we have three Utes sitting in the back of a convertible on a Miami highway. One is sitting above, like kind of on the back of the car on the passenger seat. And all I was thinking, I was like, oh, if you hit a big pothole, you are done. So (laughs) they're just causing a ruckus. They're causing mayhem. They're kind of uh, messing around with the guy driving next to them, spitting out beer on him, blasting George Thorgood's bat to the bone getting us a little bit of road raid with this guy next to them. Fortunately, one of the Utes pulls out a shotgun. The guy next to them totally and rightfully so veers off, hits a bunch of plastic flamingos. And that is how we're introduced to the episode. Who are these kids? Who are these Utes? Let's find out. We don't really get a whole bunch about them. We just see them kind of causing mayhem. They just kind of remind me of like three Beavis and Buttheads with bad intentions. You can kind of get a little bit of their personalities or their energies to be more accurate from this next clip. (laughs) Clouds look like skulls. (laughs) The very loud laugh you hear is Snake. I didn't even realize they had names and then I kind of noticed that he has Snake Tattoo and then I think he was just briefly mentioned as Snake by one of the other guys during a crime. Snake is my favorite. Snake is my favorite. I'll talk about him a little bit more in Vice T. He's wearing pink sand panties over his head and that's why he's kind of laughing. He does have the best expressions and the best faces throughout the entire episode. He really sells it. I will give it up for the actor Michael Carmine. We'll talk a little bit more about during Vice T. However, these kids are not just your average, you know, youths. These are punks, and they are criminals. They, looking around with their binoculars, obviously they focus on some beautiful girls in bikini. And of course I've put it on the gallery. Have you not seen the gallery, the Vice and Easy podcast gallery? If not, go to my link tree in my Instagram and click now and enjoy at least 40, usually 30 to 50 pictures from each and every episode that I've done so far. Now back to the topic. As they're kind of looking around, they see a very well-dressed retired man in kind of like a Panama hat and a nice, not Hawaiian, but like a nice short sleeve printed linen shirt doing the newspaper. He's a bookie, which means he has a lot of cash on him because he's doing deals at the beach. The Utes rob him shoot him, run off after causing mayhem at the beach, shoot the food truck. And this is their cardinal mistake because you never know who owns what in Miami. Now, enough with the Utes. Let's get to the adults. Crockett and Tubbs sitting in the Ferrari while Crockett's despondent on the phone try to get through to someone. We find out he is seeing somebody new. And I want Crockett to tell you in his own words, because this is so iconic. I've been saying it since I was 14 years old. You getting jealous on me? You bet I'm jealous. There's nothing finer than falling in love. Yeah, well, I ain't falling in love. What do you call it? LWP. LWP? Lust with potential. I would talk this big game and always post this as my MSN status, my it was in my MySpace, it was like one of my favorite Facebook quotes, as if I was some player, when in reality, I was like the most sensitive, whiny, complacent, I would like someone from afar, never tell them, never make a move, turn them down when they would ask me out or ask me out to dance and then like them and then go after them. This has happened like four times where I've rejected somebody and then realized I like them. And I don't know if it was like a self-protection thing and 
And a lot of times I would just end up getting my own heartbroken because why continue to go after someone who's already rejected you? And then they're just sending you mixed signals. So I get it from their perspective. And I did this multiple, multiple, multiple times. Not really the smartest person. So as much as I used to say lust with potential, yeah, you know, I'm not catching feelings. Complete opposite. Where in reality, I would be crying on the streetcar and the subway. <laughs> Dude, Don Henley's This is the Last Worthless Evening. Oh my God. So yeah, you think that you're a player, but you're completely lost. That was me. All right, let's get back to it. Speaking of this woman, we get some sexy Melrose Place music, courtesy of Jan Hammer, in this beautiful, gorgeous house. It looks to be three stories, very 80s Miami, but not too tacky, unfortunately. In my opinion, there's only one part of the house that really stands out to me, which is the bed, which you will all see later. And I'll all direct you to please look at pictures of this bed. But it's this beautiful, white, nothing, you know, too techy, not too much black or marble. It's very, like, well-designed house. Turns out she's an architect, so she knows her design. And I recognize Brenda. She's Will Graham's wife in Manhunter, which means our guest star for the episode has had love scenes with not only William Peterson, but Don Johnson in their prime. So, a round of applause. And unfortunately, Kim Christ has never written a book because I would pay money to read about these two. Good for her. However, let's get back to the episode. Her character is just as eloquent and erudite as she is in Manhunter even though they're two completely different characters, they're these very strong, powerful women in their own sense. And they are very supportive to their partners, more so in Manhunter than in this episode. The way she talks is not really how I'd ever talk with a boyfriend. And you'll see what I mean. But this is absolutely, I approve 100% of what you should ask someone on, you know, first, second or third date. So you still haven't told me why you and your wife got divorced. Yes, absolutely. 100%. You should know why the person that you are dating is single. Because I am saying this from experience and I'm saying this from seeing my girlfriends date people who've come out of divorces, long-term relationships. The person has told them the exact reason why the relationship ended. And me personally, I have waved off those red flags and completely ignored it. And it was right in front of me. And in this case, I'm talking about drinking, where the person I was dating told me the reason their partner was sick of them and they were always fighting was because of drinking. And they were in the process of breaking up. I do not know why I didn't run for the hills. I did not listen to those red flags. So I'm asking you please to listen to red flags. There are many reasons that people break up. Geography, incompatible lifestyles but when you get information that you know you are not compatible with please run for the hills cut dry run so kudos to brenda for asking straight up why crockett got divorced however his answer is a little iffy but very valid why did caroline and i get divorced i guess my checks and balances weren't working too well The iffy part was checks and balances. The job is the reason, but it's not so much the job. It's how Sonny relates to the job and what he chooses to do. Again, no one is beholden. You can change jobs. It's not part of your identity. It's Crockett wanting to be a player. So we all should just listen to Caroline the pilot. However, I'm liking this romance between Brendan and Crockett. And we'll get back to them in a second because I totally forgot to tell you the whole Lust with Potential scene was a crime scene and I totally skipped over it. So the use that I spoke of earlier in the spray-painted Death the Ultimate High car left the car abandoned but parked on stairs descending into water and managed to park the car so that the nose of the car and the front tire on the front step on the first step, closest to the water, without the car rolling in. I am so impressed with that parking job. I know, obviously, it was stuntmen, and it wasn't three cracked-out 
Utes. Just very, very, very impressed with this parking job. So now let's go back to the Utes. They're continuing to cause havoc. They are trying to find open car doors. They're going through this parking lot, pulling on the car doors. They do this about seven times. Then, (laughs) question mark, question mark, question mark. They smash the windows of a Buick and take it while the alarm is going off and they hot rod it. They hot wire it. No rhyme or reason. No logic there. Just thought I would point that out. And now as we head back into the office, Tubbs and Gina are looking into the reasons. Like, what are the motives for these kids? What are they doing? Well, Gina's a little curious as to why Tubbs is alone today. And she, as we say now, decides to hurt her own feelings by asking Tubbs where Crockett is. The excuse is that Crockett has a toothache. He's at the dentist. Gina asks, who's got the toothache, Brenda or Crockett? Tubbs is feeling so awkward, and he basically tells her straight up, after trying to avoid her the first time, look, I don't want to get involved in the personal lives of my partner. Then Zito gets a lead that another motel has found another car, a Buick, abandoned, dirty, and again, full of comic books like they found the first time. So they have a little bit of a pattern, they have a little bit of similarity. So at least they got a lead on these on these youths. Now, guess who we're seeing again? We're seeing Giancarlo Esposito. He is talking with a kingpin, kingpin, oh my God, a kingpin named Morgan. And they're trying to figure out who tried to rip off their food truck. They go through different ethnicities. I didn't feel like recording the clip. It wasn't even that funny. It wasn't like something that had aged poorly and was funny. It was just kind of like, ah, doesn't really add anything to it, except for Giancarlo's beautiful speaking voice. So forgive me for that. Yeah, they just kind of talked over. They can't figure out which one of their known enemies would be going after them now because these punks, they don't have any loyalties. They don't have any ties. They have no worries in the world. And now to connect with the Utes, they send Crockett and Tubbs who don't look like narcs at all at this like young kind of punk club. Like you'll see a lot of the styles and the hair in the pictures on the gallery. Like they are not blending in at all. They totally look like cops. (laughs) Hello, fellow kids. (laughs) How do you do, fellow kids? They look like narcs. I don't even know why they're doing this mission. They should have sent, at least Gina and Trudy could have, you know, blend in a little bit better. And I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. Inflation has already got into the Miami Vice set. The pilot, it costs a dime to make a phone call. Now? I gotta call Brennan and tell her I'm gonna be late. Got a quarter? It was a quarter when I was a kid in the late 90s. So that seems like a steep jump. Or maybe they just, you know, had a little bit of misinformation in the pilot. But I thought that was interesting. Also, I find it funny that when Crockett's on the phone, he can't close the door of the phone booth. So these two kids kind of walk up waiting for him to get off the phone and they can hear everything he's saying, which was a very real problem back in the day that you never really had that much privacy. And I've had that before in countries when I was doing a summer abroad in Austria, I told this guy, I was like, hey, I'm going to be on the phone for a long time. Call my friend. I said in English and in German. Unfortunately, he misunderstood neither. I kept shaking my head. I kept saying, no, 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 like I'm not leaving. He waited for an hour for me to finish my phone call. And I was like, I kind of felt bad, but I kind of didn't. I was trying to make it as clear as possible. Like I'm staying here. I got a calling card to gossip with my friends back in Canada. This was before cell phones. The only internet I could get was at internet cafes. It's a very different time. So yeah, cell phones really helped us with that one. Give us a little bit more privacy. You're not standing in the cold making telephone calls anymore. And a very important update. I have found the clip from the pilot as follows. You got a dime? I want to give it a call. And furthermore, this is not a long distance call. This is a Miami to Miami call. It's It's not like Canada where you get charged long distance from calling Toronto to a suburb. This makes no sense how it would jump from a dime to a quarter in a year, maybe let's say a year and a half, depending on when they film the pilot. Still, logistically, does not make sense. However, let's get to the rest of this episode, so I'm not arguing about payphones. <laughs> Old woman yells at Cloud about payphones. And so while Crockett is being all lovey-dovey with Brenda on the phone, saying how much he misses her, what he's going to get up to, Tubbs has already gone inside. 
the Utes have already done the score. Shots are fired. The Utes are screaming, brandishing, brandishing the shotgun again as they run out against a line of kids lined up again in this club. Sonny tries shooting, tries following. Nothing happened. These kids almost hit him. I told you, they do not give an F. Now, how do you think that is going to sound when they get back to the precincts? Hmm. Why weren't you inside? Uh, he was covering the back door. I was making a phone call. Spoiler alert, his relationship is not really appreciated, shall I say, at OCB. Now, they get a little bit more information that these kids, these youths, may have killed a shopkeeper the same morning. So these kids are on a rampage. And we're going to juxtapose that news with Crockett and Brenda lying on pool floaties him in a black Speedo and her in actually a very cute one-piece pink and yellow or purple and yellow bathing suit. Please go look at the gallery. I believe I made it the main photo because it's such a great aerial shot and Don Johnson has such a cute little butt. And as they're talking face to face, he's telling her that his mind wasn't where it was supposed to be on his job. Her response is a little bit weird. I'm going to play this clip for you. I want to know what you think. I screwed up last night. My mind wasn't on my job. It was on you. Sorry. I'm so glad. Maybe that doesn't come off the right way, but if you're dating someone whose life affects the lives of other people in a very succinct and immediate manner. I would not be glad that I was diluting or distracting my partner's mind and their clarity in a possible life or death situation. I think maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into this, but yeah, you know, you don't want someone to be distracted when they have a lot of power and they have the power to take away someone's life or have their life taken away. So I might be reading too much into that. This might be a little bit of me, you know, dying on a hill. I really don't need to die on. But that kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. But again, let's just enjoy this romance while it lasts. Dun, dun, dun. Before we move on, I had to come back and re-record this. Please note that Sunny is smoking in the pool. Then starts to make out with her while I believe he still has a sticker in his hand. So obviously I took a picture of it. Now let's make it really cringy. You know what? I don't want to say this is cringy because I have done this before and I regret doing this. I regret trying to get the last word or trying to get someone to admit they had feelings for me in a situation where I'm pretty much beating a dead horse. And... I wish I had that cool, calm composure where I could just turn around, block, move on, act like nothing happened. And I'm not using this whole empath thing, but a lot of times when I have been involved with men who have intentionally hurt me, they've also been suffering from drug addiction or alcoholism. And as a sober person, I guess I feel inclined to not put up with it, but to not abandon someone who is struggling with that. However, at the end of the day, it's so cringy to look back on the way I didn't quite speak up for myself or I kind of like half-assed spoke up for myself or I had someone else write the text message. At the end of the day, I should have just blocked moved on and never looked back well of course I creep their Instagrams but I mean just completely block and move on I wish I was cool enough to do that however I am not I am too much of a hothead and so is my girl Gina I went to Romando's last week remember Nick the maitre d' yeah how is slick Nick he misses you I promised him I'd bring you by this weekend. Uh, this weekend, um... But if you're in the mood for some home cooking, that could be arranged, too. 
Gina, this weekend's gonna be a little rough. You just keep me around for an occasional pit stop until something better comes around. Feels really great, let me tell you, Sonny. Gina, that's not fair. That's right. It's not fair at all. Just stay out of my life. Ooh. It was so cringy. My notes are so, 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 so cringe when she's like, oh, if you're in the mood for home cooking. I'm glad she realized it. I'm glad she realized what I've been telling her all along. Not to get involved with someone who is still not over their ex-wife and especially not someone you work with. And I understand they're trying to highlight that this kind of intense work bonds people together. I wouldn't say trauma bonding, but I would just say bonds people together. You have weird hours. You don't have the same lifestyle your friends have. You can't really talk to anybody else about work except for your coworkers. So it just creates kind of like a vacuum environment. So in that point, I do really, I get it. I still would do it, but please do not hook up with your coworkers. Anything to take away from this podcast, this is all I bestow to you. I've never even hooked up with one of my coworkers, but I kind of accidentally started a job where I had feelings for someone I had hooked up with and they didn't want a relationship with me and I hurt my own feelings. And with that, I moved to America. It's a long story. I can tell you all later, but let's digress. First editor's note, I actually switched the pool scene with the Gina scene. So I got my notes crossed, but still very pivotal scenes in regards to feelings and smoking. Now let's make it a little trifecta and get some con artistry in the way. These shoes were worn by Richard Gere in the American Yigolo. <laughs> oh, that pronunciation. Yigolo. <laughs> so yes, this is Izzy's new scam. It's these fine custom Italian leather shoes. Uh, you'll see it more in this episode. Oh man, so Sunny and <laughs> Tops. <laughs> Card is he in for info? Uh, they don't really get anywhere. Then as Crocker and Tubbs are walking back, Sonny is really frustrated. He's not really getting anywhere. He just wants to basically put in the bag, give it over to Homicide, and let them deal with it. But Tubbs tells him that he's distracted and he should take a little bit of time off work to get his head clear and to really get back and focus on the case. And so as all of us are wont to do, him and his girlfriend Brenda are canoodling on a giant sailboat, which I believe is Brenda's because it's much larger than the same fight stance and it has two jibs. It has a bit, sorry, I'm, I'm using improper terminology. I learned to sail on a tiny little sailboat that was just like a little one person tug sailboat on a lake in Canada. So this is way out of my realm. I believe it. Yeah. So it's quite a large boat. I'm assuming it's hers because my note is how rich is she? I know she's an architect, so she's rich, rich, honey. And then at night, they start talking about the dangers of the job as Crockett laments that cigarettes are going to kill him. She points out that it's not even the most dangerous thing that he's into. Then he actually has a really good wine liner. How do you go from this tranquility to that violence? I usually take the Ferrari. I also appreciate that he sounds extra raspy as he's struggling to light his cigarette. Then they kind of bond a little bit more. He talks about what it's like working in an environment where... Everybody is stressed. It's not a normal nine to five. It's not a laid back office job. This is a very high stress life or death job. Then she's able to segue it into one of the most awkward conversation prompts I've heard in quite a while. That one woman detective you told me about? Gina? Yeah. She's a good cop and a good friend. And we're there for each other. Does that include being there for each other sexually? <laughs> and I'm going to give Crockett credit. He answers 100% truthfully and says that, yeah, sometimes. 
So she does apologize that, you know, she's prying a little bit too much, but she's just worried about him and she wants to know a little bit more about his job and his co-workers and his life because it is a very different lifestyle than the one that she is accustomed to. <laughs> so now we're in a diner. Izzy, who was already asked about these three youths, go up to three youths in the diner, try to sell his shoes these punks want nothing to do with him. Spill relish on his shoes. Wave him away. Iggy sh- is he shook. And he goes to the counter, talks to the server, gets cheese Danish, asks to use the phone. Is on the phone giving intel to someone when Giancarlo Esposito and one of the thugs from Golden Triangle Part 2, who I've pointed out in the gallery, Go to pay them a visit, basically tell them that they made a mistake when they shot up that truck on the beach. That they pissed off a very powerful guy. But once again, these guys do not give an F. Pull out a shotgun, shoot both henchmen, including Giancarlo Esposito. Shoot a bottle of ketchup right next to Izzy, which scares the bejesus out of him. Run out of the restaurant, whereas Snake, I will give him credit and only this that he does tip his server and compliments the chef on his hamburgers after he has shot two patrons and ran out the door. So you can't have them all. And after when Crocodile Tubs arrived to the crime scene, again, they're bewildered. They really are having a trouble of having difficulty catching these kids. They notice Izzy. They go over and they are not happy. But Izzy has an excuse that makes him re- very relatable to the rest of us. You put in that call to Morgan, didn't you? Hey, you made me an offer of good and abuse. $1,000. I got dental work. Izzy also appears to be taking an uh, nitrous. Like he has like the gas mask over his face. That's the kind of yoink you hear at the end of that clip. And so after they get the crime scene, Tubbs comes over for breakfast with Brenda and Crockett. It's very interesting. First of all, I will point that Sunny is smoking a cigarette at a breakfast table with two non-smokers. And I'm going to point out that they have a very healthy breakfast. I believe she's eating a grapefruit. She's having some strawberries. There's a big fruit platter. So I believe it's just coffee, cigarettes, and fruit for breakfast. So (laughs) I know what Crockett's having. Her and Tubbs actually vibe very well. Tubbs is a little bit more knowledgeable about the architecture and the revitalization of Miami South Beach, which actually in reality is credited with Miami Vice and its producers because when they wanted to shoot certain scenes, they would kind of spruce up the facade so it looked better on camera, which kind of led to a little revitalization. But, you know, let's not break the fourth wall here. We're going to give credit to Brenda. They make a joke that Crockett wouldn't know the difference between Bauhaus and Outhouse. Then they get a little bit more serious as Crockett goes upstairs to get dressed for work. And they talk about the realities of people from two different worlds coexisting and what kind of future they can build together. Ask myself, what is a street cop like Sonny Crockett doing in a fantasy? This is no fantasy. This is my life. What about Crockett's life? Can you imagine a bunch of tired cops and their wives out on your veranda? How many department softball games and barbecues are you going to attend? Let me see if I have this straight. Sonny's a middle-class dolt. I'm a tasteful but shallow jet-setter. And you're God? I like that clip because I can see both perspectives. I can see not wanting to throw out a relationship that I'm really enjoying just because of problems that haven't occurred yet. And then I also appreciate Tubbs for being a realist and basically pointing out that their lifestyles and their futures are not going to be as happily intertwined as she thinks they'll be. And I think that's very interesting. Now, next scene... Croc and Tubbs hanging out. And Tubbs does say that she's nice, but not your type. Nice lady, though. 
And then when Crockett asks, what is his type? Tub says, the beard lady. Ha 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 I say that after I've just, like, um, shaved my face. <laughs> I don't have a beard, but I have, you know, peach fuzz. I was like, oh, I am the beard lady. As if, you know, me shaving my face would link me to 1985 Don Johnson. But... Izzy is walking up with a pair of clogs, and I made a gif of this because he was selling us these really fine Italian leather shoes. Maybe this is another scam he has. And I wear clogs to work when I bartend. They are very comfy, but once a night, I will feel a pain in the middle of my foot right at the highest point of my arch. And it always feels like I have a pin. And I don't know if that's just my feet trying to reconform and rebuild my arch, or if it's just... um, just kind of like a natural pain that I'm going to have with these clogs. But I'd rather have them with clogs than develop a flat foot. So that was kind of interesting. You kind of see his foot cramp up. And yeah, I made a gif of it. Just goes a little bit curious. But Izzy has some news, basically has some intel about these kids. That they're going to start sticking up Morgan's lunch trucks. Especially after getting that message from Giancarlo, Giancarlo Esposito and the other bearded henchmen. That's what I'm going to call him. Because that's what he's listed as as on his IMDb page. And so with that, they drive off. Izzy's sitting on the hood of the car, so we get a little fun hijinks gif, as if we're back two episodes ago with Made for Each Other. Then we're sitting in a parking lot with Crockett and Tubbs. It's been three days since the last last hit. Crockett is tired. They're doing surveillance. They're basically doing surveillance on Morgan's trucks trying to get a little bit more intel about these kids. Tubbs and Crockett have to meet the next morning at 6 a.m. So naturally, Tubbs asks if they want to do dinner. Let's see what Crockett has to say. Day at the office. Oh. Want to take in some dinner? Uh, don't tell me. <laughs> I'll see you here tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And so as Crockett heads over to Brenda's, him and Brenda are sitting, deciding to wax a little bit more poetically about the future, hurting each other's own feelings in the process as they play a game called the Crockett's, as in what are the Crockett's going to do in the future? And you and me alone? Where do we go? Wherever. Paris for summer. Come on, Brenda. Maybe when I retire. I doubt if I can get that much time off. What are you getting at? And this is when you can see the wheel spinning in her head that what Tub said really got to her. And that she is starting to think a little bit more realistically about their future together. Yes, you know, people can't just take two months and have their summers off unless they're a teacher. It's very hard for any working class person just to be able to take that much time off of work. And whereas she might own her own business or she might be a partner in our um, architecture firm, she might have more leverage and be able to take that much time off. Or she can just also just choose not to work on projects. Maybe she's freelance. So she has a lot more flexibility in her schedule than someone who has you know, scheduled shift work like Crockett. So kind of the reality setting in a little bit he really doesn't like her game and goes off to bed says he has to be up early please go to the gallery as soon as you've parked your car and see this bed I tried really hard to get this shot of him just waking up it's a little bit dark I might brighten it and repost it because black satin or silk sheets black headrests and a black top sheet I wish this is a waterbed because it would just be like the ultimate 80s sexy bachelorette bed. It's so weird. It is so 80s. It's also my top choice for best decor. And as Crockett's sleeping, Brenda comes in with a little cup of tea or coffee to wake him up. He is not happy about it. He knows that he was supposed to wake up hours ago. He's kind of freaking out, but he doesn't tell Brenda why. She has no idea why he needed to be up early. And again, for her, being up early or not to work on a project 
might have to do with paperwork, whereas for a cop, it might have something to do with an investigation, might be protection. It's a little bit more complicated than just a regular nine to five. As Crockett is dressed, racing down the door, ignoring Brenda's questions, Tubbs shows up at the door, beaten up, bloodied face. Crockett is despondent that he has let his partner down again because as Tubbs was waiting by himself, Morgan security jumped him. And so the whole point was that neither of them were supposed to be alone in case anything happened while they were surveying Morgan's operation. So now they're back at the precinct trying to kind of plan out their next plan of attack. Tubbs has a great idea. They have more leverage against Morgan now. Since they beat up a cop, they can use their trucks as bait for the Utes. Castillo approves. He wants Tubbs to work with Zito and Switek. Please listen to the pacing in this clip to see that Castillo means business. Tubbs, you work it out with Switek and Zito. Crockett, I have some paperwork for you this afternoon. Oof, you know what that means. And again, Castillo looks down and looks straight at him with that piercing, not the most handsome stare in the world. And it is the stare of disappointment. It's like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. That's exactly what it feels like. So now we cut to a montage. And what song are we playing to this montage? Heartbeat by Red 7. Also in the Manhunter soundtrack, also in Euphoria, great song, but you can definitely see that Michael Mann took a lot of things from Amy Vice and put them in Manhunter. Not just people, but songs, themes, plot lines. I really enjoy it. This is a great montage, and I took a picture. It is not Don Johnson. It's probably his stunt double or sit-in. Sitting, again, like I was saying, the Ute was sitting above the headrest on his seat. Okay, so you sit in, you're sitting in the back of the car and you have your back against the seat. You are safe. If anything hits you, you are protected from the back. So they're sitting with their butts on top of the back with their legs on the seat proper, not on the floor. And Crockett or whoever's John Johnson stunt double is doing the exact same thing on the boat while the motor is on. So in my head, I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't see him touching the wheel. I don't see him manning this boat or controlling the boat or being able to direct any trajectory of where this boat is going. That's very dangerous. And the first thing I thought of was Kevin O'Leary and his wife in that huge scandal in Ontario where people hypothesized that his wife took the fall for him because they didn't want to admit that Kevin O'Leary was driving his boat drunk that maybe the wife did do it, maybe someone else did it, but because it was on their boat and they were there, maybe they were all drunk. And it was a horrible accident where I believe two or three people were killed. So I'm not trying to make light of the situation. It just does kind of remind me of, please be aware of when you're boating. I know boating seems like it's not as, contains many variables as driving, but there are still a lot of things that you might not be able to see in the water until last minute. So that is for all of you great Lakers. <laughs> Please be careful. And I will link to this uh, Toronto Life article on Kevin O'Leary and his wife in the show notes because it is a little scandalous read. Also, I hate him. He's such a douchebag. So I don't feel bad at all about spreading this information. Everyone should read it. And so back to this montage, it's not like a heroic montage. It's kind of more like a flashback scene where he's thinking about Brenda. He's thinking about making love to Brenda, hang out with Brenda, but he's also thinking about him letting Tubbs down. Tubbs got the crap beaten out of him because he was preoccupied and he didn't set his alarm. Also, I don't know why Crockett was mad at Brenda for not waking him up. You're a grown-ass man working as a police officer. You can set your own alarm. 
Then we check in on the undercover operation at the truck. It's actually super fun. So we have Zito manning the truck. I believe Zwitek is hanging around out back, kind of playing security. We have Gina hanging out in a beach chair, reading A Man for All Seasons. And my note was, girl, get an emotionally available man for all seasons. <laughs> I'm so clever. And we have Tubbs playing the saxophone, and we have Trudy playing tourists and taking pictures. Then we also have Castillo keeping a watch on the road to see what cars are coming by. Because again, these punks keep changing cars, so they just want to keep an eye on every car that is passing by. And so while they're doing the recon in the undercover, because Crockett got put on paperwork, Crockett has a little bit more time. So he and Brenda are going to have the most amicable breakup question mark talk I've ever heard in my life. Maybe if we both step back, try to figure out how the rest of our lives fit into this. Never know what can happen. I'm not so sure I like the rational side of you. (laughs) All in all, you're a pretty wonderful guy. I know the phrase friends with benefits didn't exist in the 80s, but I would have loved if he had said lust with potential with benefits. (laughs) LWPWB. That would have been so funny, but I digress. That does not sound like a breakup talk at all. It actually is very nice and mature. I could never. So I don't know what they're talking about. I could never. Let's circle back to these Utes. They're in their dirtbag motel, blasting back to the bone again. One of them smashes the stereo or the boombox with a crowbar. I was like, yes, I'm also sick of hearing the song repeat during the entire episode. There's so many more songs about bad boys. You could have had the boys are back in town. That would have been my choice just to have that the whole episode. <laughs> Because they are back in town. Well, they they never were a native to Miami, but, you know, you could have had a lot more fun with it. There are bullets all over the dirty-ass mattress. They are jumping around, celebrating, shooting the gun off towards the ceiling. I made a gif of it because it is so wild. This whole episode when I was making the Imgur, I was like, this is all just really bad American stereotypes. This is what people in Europe must think that life in everyday life in America is like. <laughs> Of just like shotguns and craziness everywhere. And sadly, they're not 100% wrong. Oh, man. Yeah, just gets worse and worse every week. Well, let's get back to the days of yore. We're going back to the beach, check out the truck. Tubbs gets some intel from Castillo. He tells Gina to get everybody out of the way. So Gina's going around to the people, hanging around the beach, telling them to watch out, basically just shooing them away gently without causing any commotion or chaos. I also really like that they're showing this part in the episode because a lot of times we see shootouts happen on the beach with a lot of pedestrians and civilians hanging around. So I like to see that they're trying to maintain as safe of a space in case that a shootout does occur. And... Sadly, they're right. The punks try to come, and Castillo and Tubbs are right. One of the punks comes up, the one in a little pork pie hat. I forget his name. I only can remember Snake because Snake is so charming. Comes up to Tubbs, sees the bag, tells him to give him what's in the bag. Tubbs very smartly slowly reaches down for the bag, picks it up. There's a gun inside. As the gun is pointed towards Tubbs, fires off the gun as Snake, my favorite, comes around the truck with his shotgun. Zito takes out his pistol, shoots him. However, there is one more. Remember the kind of horse face guy? He is going to chase Tubbs throughout the beach. This is where I kind of understand that it was more for show than reality because there are all these trees around. And I'm like, wait, if these guys are high... You're telling me one of them couldn't have accidentally hit a tree? There's only one surviving one left. And also, Tubbs couldn't have just climbed a tree? Right? That's what I would have done. I just would have climbed a tree. 
maybe by the time he stopped and got out, I could have, you know, gotten myself situated, gotten my backup ready. But however, well, luckily at this time where Tubbs is running away, being chased by the car, we see the Ferrari quickly change directions and speed on down to the beach from Ocean Boulevard, basically trying to kind of uh, pit stop the punk's car. Punk's car hits the barrier, separating the beach from the boardwalk. Tubbs hops over to the other side. Crockett and the punk get into it. Both guns are ready to go, loaded, aimed. The punk says, nobody lives forever. Gunshot. That's it. Crockett and Tubbs kind of take a moment or two to pick themselves up, settle down, get themselves situated. And then it's almost like everything's back to normal. Wanna go fishing? I'd rather go trolling. Oh, I love that little like melody at the end. And it's really sweet. The final parting shot is them with their arms around each other's shoulders, walking off the crime scene. And that's the episode. Thank you for joining me for episode 20 of season one, Nobody Lives Forever. Now, let's get to it. I have some very light advice to you today, but I still have some fun IMDb credits to read you. Now, sadly, I don't have more advice to you on Tim Grice, like I mentioned on earlier on the episode. She has sadly never written a book detailing her on-screen escapades with William Peterson, my favorite and Don Johnson, both in their prime, like 1985, Don Johnson, 1985, 1986, maybe William Peterson, like, oh my God, woman, please tell me your stories. She's kind of the exact same character in Manhunter. I remember there's this one scene where Will, he's finally deciding to go back and take on the case. She says something to the effect of, I know the value of every day and I never deny myself living life to the fullest. Great advice, but not exactly something I would just say off the cuff to my husband. You know, usually there's kind of like cutesy language involved or kind of like an inside joke. I don't know. Like, I understand it was a serious talk, but it just didn't come off right. It just sounded very much like she was she was a sage full of wisdom as opposed to his wife just giving him advice. And they are in bed with that blue light over them. It's a very iconic scene. She's great. Love her. Very beautiful, very delicate features. I really like the short hair on her, very delicate features. However, she retired from acting. Uh, Her last IMDb credit was Judging Amy in 2001. So apparently, according to Wikipedia, she lives in Stanford, Connecticut, her hometown. But not really sure what she's up to. Then my favorite guest star of the whole episode, aside from Kim Christ is Michael Carmine. He played Snake. Uh, Snake is the very um, expressionable one. He always had, he was always smiling the most. He was always laughing the most. He was always shooting people with the most gusto. Great actor. Turns out, I was trying to look at his IMDb and his IMDb picture is the Miami Vice picture from this episode. But I was like, this guy was so charming. Unfortunately, he died at the age of 30 from a heart attack due to complications from AIDS. So he died in, I believe, 1989. So he was barely even 30 when this episode aired. He went to the High School of Performing Arts in New York City, also known as the Fame School. These are two of his IMDb credits I want to read to you. Screaming Youth in Hill Street Blues. Vato Loco in After School Special. So... I don't know if it was supposed to be the gang member or just like crazy guy, but I laughed so hard when I saw that was actually an IMDb credit. Like, oh man. But let's cool things down a little bit. Let's get into some. And as much as I liked Brenda and I love her face, I thought she had very, she's very beautiful and delicate features. I wasn't really a big fan of her fashion. So my best dressed is going to go to Crockett and Tubbs in the pale blue and the dark blue. Trudy playing tourist with the beautiful patterned shirt and the fun earrings. Wild card is going to go to Izzy's blue pants. And when I mean blue, I mean like electric blue pants and white clogs as my wild card. Because that is a very different, two different types of fashion meeting at the same point. And only a man like Izzy could make that work. 
A best decor. Now this I will give to Brenda. It's not her weird multicolored couch. It's not her beautiful three-story house that she probably designed herself. It is the black bed with built-in headrests made of black silk with black silk sheets. That is out of this world. I'm giving my best decor prize to Brenda, the one and only. And my only one week new category of best smoking location. Maybe we might have a tie. Let's check in with our judge. (sighs) Ah, that sweet Carolina smoke. I want to say the pool, but then I guess it also makes sense to smoke in the pool if you're relaxing. But my vote is going to be, because it's completely inappropriate and it's so gross, is smoking at the breakfast table with two non-smokers. It doesn't look like there was a window open or any breeze coming in, too. That is disgusting. (laughs) Ah, and let's end this episode with the best one-liner in this whole episode. Naturally, it's about the Ferrari. How do you go from this tranquility to that violence? I usually take the Ferrari. Smoking and the Ferrari, Sonny Crockett's two favorite things. Love to see it. Thank you again so much for listening this week. I had a lot more energy than usual. I've had a lot more caffeine, so now... Let's see how, when I edit this thing, how this is going to end up. But thank you again. This was a little bit more of a fun episode. We've had two back-to-back episodes with Utes. And I think maybe just because this was, you know, a different age of television where you did have to pump out minimum 20 episodes a season. I see kind of like repeated themes in episodes. You know, we had that three-episode arc where every episode was starting at like the red light district of Miami. And now we have back-to-back Utes. Uh, causing mayhem against Miami. So let's see what next week will bring because next week and the week after, we are getting into it. We're going through Evan and Lombard. Then we're going on a quick little break as I get ready for season two. Maybe make some changes. Maybe not. Maybe just enjoy it for what it is. And thank you for enjoying me for who I am. Thank you again for all your compliments, all your comments. I do read all your comments. I don't always reply to them, but... All happy, lovely things. I am very happy to read. Really means a lot to me. Thank you again for supporting me. I actually, last week, you might be listening to me as a new listener because you saw me go vile on Imgur. I'm not pronouncing that right. I am G-U-R. There we go. And that was super cool, super exciting. And I got a lot of cool tips on to kind of how to raise my profile. And don't forget, you can also subscribe to me, not only on Spotify, on Apple, on YouTube, you can actually subscribe to the gallery itself on IMGUR. So you can see my posts every single week where I break down each and every episode of Miami Vice. Get ready. We're doing this for another year and a half. So thank you for following. Thank you for liking. Thank you for leaving me wonderful reviews full of lovely, lovely, warm words. And again, if you have constructive criticism, I do have an email and I'm happy to hear it. Uh, Maybe not for the next couple weeks because I have another speed barding competition that I have to win. But after that, I'm definitely happy to take constructive criticism. Thank you again. You can find me on everything at Vice and Easy Podcast on socials, on YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week as we break down Evan. And don't forget, as always. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.